With Fidelity Wealth Management, a dedicated advisor can work with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential. Plus, you'll have access to specialists in estate planning strategies. So you're not just growing and protecting your wealth, you're sharing it. More at fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimums apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. If you're listening to my show, you're looking for tips on how to work smarter, not harder. And let's be real. You're already working hard to earn your money. But how do you make sure that your money is working hard for you? Here's how. With a Betterment Automated Investment and Savings app, your money will go to work. They've got technology that will provide you with advanced tools, and they're built to help maximize your returns, not to mention your time. They have expert-built portfolios of low-cost exchange-traded funds. You know I love those exchange-traded funds. There's automated investing technology, and as part of that, automated rebalancing. Many of you have been asking about rebalancing, and it sort of feels like a hard thing to do on your own. With Betterment, easy peasy. They do it for you. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Welcome to the Jill on Money Show. It's Wednesday, September 14th. And well, you know, I had a whole different intro planned for today and now I am changing it up. Why? Because we got the August Consumer Price Index out and it was quite a stunning report in a couple of ways. So here's the good news first. The overall inflation rate, the headline rate, that pace slowed down. We were at 9.1% in June, 8.5% in July, 8.3% in August. The big reason that that headline rate was reduced was that gas prices are down, down by about a quarter a gallon uh, over the last month. So the gas index itself was down by 10.6%. That pulled down the overall headline CPI reading. But there were some other parts of the report that weren't so hot. For example, food prices are up 11.4% from a year ago. That is the largest annual increase since May of 1979. So food, there was no place to hide. I mean, everything is more expensive. Proteins are more expensive. Grains are more expensive. Sweets are more expensive. So the food number really came in pretty darn hot. Even when we remove these volatile categories of food and energy, the so-called core inflation rate also increasing and actually increasing more than expected. The core rate was up 6.3% from a year ago. I think most analysts had expected 6, 6, 6.1, 6.3, pretty darn hot. Shelter is the big component when it comes to core prices. Doesn't that make sense? It costs a lot to actually live somewhere. And even if you have fixed expenses because you've got a fixed rate mortgage, the way the government looks at the shelter component is they say, well, what would it cost for Jill to rent the apartment that she owns? What's the equivalent rent? That's how they come up with this shelter number. And shelter was up 6.2% from a year ago. That's a big number. And 
it accounts for about 40% of the core rate of inflation. So when rent and housing prices are going up, that means the core inflation rate is rising. So this inflation report actually triggered a big sell-off in stocks. If you were not paying attention at the end of the day yesterday, I'm sure you figured it out last night, stocks got absolutely shellacked, down by more than 4%. And if you really want to understand the psyche of the stock investor, it's best to kind of consider two parts of what they're worried about. Number one, they are worried, stock investors are worried that the Fed is going to have to move more aggressively than they had anticipated. So we have a Fed meeting next week. They're likely to raise interest rates by 0.75%. It would be the third meeting in a row where we get three quarters of a percentage point increase. And that in and of itself can put pressure on the stock market. And it's not just next week's meeting. It's the meetings that are coming after that and meetings next year. Because if we don't see these prices start to come down more significantly, the Fed is just going to keep raising interest rates. And I'll bring up a separate issue that some investors are concerned about. If the cost of everything is rising, how are we expecting consumers to spend as freely as we hope they would coming into what they call the all-important holiday season. You know, the fourth quarter is really about holidays. I think these two issues together push down stocks dramatically. And uh, I would not be surprised if we continue to see selling accelerate. Um, But, you know, for you guys, I think you understand where we've been in this journey, that when we have big moves like this, we can expect there to be bumps along the way. And I cannot predict when things will turn around and get better. Neither can you, neither can anyone. So we're hopeful that you're sticking to your game plan and that you will turn to us if you need assistance. Easy to do, right? Go to jillonmoney.com, click the contact us button and let us know how we can help you out. Okay, let's get on with the show. This is Diana who wants to know whether she should be borrowing to help her daughter. Here we go. Hello from Buffalo. Okay, thank you for what you do. We would like to help our daughter with her first home purchase. We estimate that we would give her around $50,000. Oh boy, here we go. We've got retirement accounts worth about a million and a half dollars, equity in our home of about 500,000. We are 66 and 64. She's still working full-time. She earns 45 grand a year. Her husband is on social security disability. That's always tough. She writes, I also own a condo, which I owned with my mother. She passed, so I'm the sole owner. The property is worth $180,000 with no mortgage. What's the best way to borrow for this purpose? Why don't we have the daughter just buy the, the condo, huh? I like that as an idea. So here's the choices, Mark. Loan from a 401k, a personal loan. Since the condo is not owner-occupied, I'm not sure a home equity line of credit would apply, Once the condo is put up for sale and closes, I would use the proceeds from the sale to reimburse or pay off any loans taken. By the way, my husband has already taken some money out of retirement funds, 12 grand this year, to give um, some money to our son for his wedding. I don't like this idea at all. 
I don't know what else is going on in your financial life. I know it sounds like a million and a half bucks is a lot of money, but you don't mention how much money you need to live on. You don't mention whether or not you guys are going to be entitled to a pension, you specifically. I don't know about your husband. I don't like this idea at all. So here's what I would do. I would say, let's settle down with a daughter, not do anything immediately. And presumably when you sell the condo, then you might have some money freed up. But I don't know, how much money do you think there is available in non-retirement assets? Because like, it looks to me like most of your money is in retirement and then that has tax liability. I want more information, but I think that your daughter, if she cannot qualify, let me just say this, she may qualify for a loan. She may not be able to actually get the down payment together. Then just wait. How old is she? What's going on in her life? Why are we doing this? I know that I'm very um, conservative on these things. Okay, here's a question uh, about HSA. Would it be wise to stay with my husband's high deductible health plan for the family HSA limit of $7,300, even though there is a spousal surcharge of $100 a month for doing so? I didn't know that, Mark. There's a spousal surcharge? Maybe that's their plan. I've never heard of that. I never heard of that either. I don't have an HDHP at my current job. Thank you for your advice. It's amazing how detailed you are with gathering information and giving that advice. And she says, we ask smart questions. That's nice. I need to know a little bit more about your family and what else you got. $1,200 seems like a lot as that spousal surcharge. I mean, maybe if you've like exhausted all of your other saving and investing. I mean, HSAs are great, but I don't know. I want to know more. Send us more. Send us more information. Okay, Jim, subject property. I am 86. My wife is 82. We've got no debt. We have a small farm. It's valued at $275,000. We have IRAs and investments of about $150,000. And cash on hand, not invested, $150,000. Okay, so nice chunk of moolah, our combined income, $2,800 per month. As we are at the time for assistance, I need to know, should I sell the farm and hope for the best or keep the farm and use what money we have to live on until the end? Here's what I like to do. I don't want to tell you to just sell this, but you know, from a financial planning perspective, to be more liquid is better as you get older. It really is. If you've got income of $2,800 a month, the big question I have is like, does that handle what you currently need in terms of your household expenses and what you might anticipate going forward? But if we if we sell the farm and we free that money up, I want to know what else you might have that you are looking for in terms of housing. But if you if you don't, maybe, do you read this as we don't live on that farm, Mark? Yeah, they don't live on it. I think they just own the land. They don't live on the farm. I'm inclined to sell the farm. What do you think? Uh, I, I'd like to know, like, is, is this something that could be unloaded quickly? Because if, if so, then I would probably just hang on, hang on to it until I know I need to sell it. It also depends about like what your kids are, involved in. I don't know. Real estate values are up. I don't know if farm values are up in the same way. I'm inclined to sell. Mark's inclined to keep. I think that it also has to do a little bit with like 
what's going on with your children. Are they in higher tax brackets than you are? There's probably no tax that's due just because of the value. I don't know. I want to sell it. Sorry, Mark. Betty writes, I received money from a life insurance policy and she said I made the mistake of purchasing more life insurance. I admit it was the wrong decision. All right, no worries. What should I do now? Cash value of the policies, $33,000. She withdrew $4,000. She put it in an emergency fund that now has $20,000. Should I take out the remaining 33, close the policies out or take it out gradually? One of the premiums is paid by the dividend. The other policy, I pay a premium, uh, which I can pay, but should I? First of all, let's call the insurance company and find out a very important piece of this. Number one, if I were to terminate these policies, what would the tax liability be? Very important to know that. If you don't need life insurance at all, if you're really at a place where you're sure you don't need this policy and you know what the tax liability is, then I'm inclined to blow out of it. I don't think there, if you, you know, I don't really think people should keep insurances that they don't need. If it's been in place for a long, long time and it's worth keeping just because it's, you know, paid in for all those years or there's some fee for getting out or the tax liability is horrific, then we'll make a different decision. But I'm inclined to say, get rid of it, but don't do it until we have the information. Let us know what that information is so that we can give you better advice. Okay. Judy listens to us on the radio and she says she's got about $140,000 in the 401k, $100,000 in savings. She's 70 years old. She collects social security and she's still working. She is the sole caregiver for her mother who is 95 years old. And she says, I want to buy a house in another state to retire someday. So I take, so should I take money from my 401k to pay my 20% down or use my savings. Thank you so much. I love the show. Why are we buying something in another state? Is this like the eventual I'm going to buy to eventually get there? And that will have to happen when mom passes away. I don't know. Like, I don't, I think you should wait to buy the house unless you have some amazing deal that is striking you. Like someone says, Oh, I've got a, a, you know, unbelievable deal right this second. In that case, Maybe I would use money from the savings, but I very, I'd be very careful. You don't have a ton of money, but you do have nice $100,000 in liquidity. Um, the one thing you didn't mention was how much this new place would be. So we'd want to make sure that you could really afford to do this. So be careful, okay? Okay, this is from Sherman, 40 years old. Question about retirement. I'd like to retire when I'm 60. I'm a federal employee. I expect to have a pension when I do retire. Um, I'm putting 20% of my income biweekly into a traditional thrift savings plan. It's only worth $16,000 as of today. Would you recommend me putting money into my traditional or Roth? My wife and I make a total of $120,000 a year. Number one, I would definitely say a Roth because you're young. And number two, why are we talking about retiring a whole, like whole, wholly retired at 60 or doing something different? That's what I want to know. Because I need more details to know whether, like, is that pension going to actually be able to float a lot of your expenses? Is your wife going to keep working? Like, we need to bang on this retirement plan to make sure you can really afford to do it. So in general, I think that the Roth makes sense, but 
this also requires more follow-ups around really whether or not you can do this at age 60. Is that fair? I hope so. Okay, here is the last question of the day. This is from Michael, who says, I've recently been able to move my health savings account to Fidelity. Oh, Mark, by the way, this we really have to get, get me an HSA expert. We need to do like an HSA program. In Michael's case, he's moved to Fidelity. He's going to have more investment options. He says, I'm hoping you can help me with an asset allocation recommendation so I can move beyond target date funds. I have $7,500 in the HSA. I contribute a total of 20% of my gross income to retirement, including the HSA. I'm 38. I'm comfortable with risk. I'm still 25 years away from retirement. Okay, so here's a question for you, Michael. Do we think you're going to use this HSA more as like a supplement in the future or is there like, do you need like a knee surgery next year? Because remember, how do we look at investment allocation? We look at time horizon. And if you really don't think you're going to need to tap into this HSA anytime soon and it's really just meant to pile up as an extra pile of money for retirement health needs, then you can be totally aggressive. But if you're using it a little bit at a time, then you've got to leave enough money in safe stuff so that you can pay the bills that are accumulating. So when I think about that for someone like you, if you're 38 and you're comfortable with risk and you really think it's just long-term, then you can throw a stock index fund, an international stock index fund, and a small allocation in a bond index fund. And that's kind of replicating what a target date fund does. And Fidelity has all of those choices. You put more money in U.S. and international stocks, you know, if you really think it's going to be way, way far out. But if you do think you're going to need some of the money, then it's worth keeping a little bit of money in cash, some in a bond index, and the rest can go in the risky stuff. It's a great benefit to have an HSA and you are putting a lot of money away. Um, I'd love to know a little bit more about your life. You know, how much money is in the retirement account? How much money is in your emergency reserve? Are you married? Do you own a home? All those things are um, questions that come into play here. So I think that's it. Mark, that's a whole show. You know what I'm doing tomorrow morning? I'm getting up early and starting the cycle for the cause. I'm going to ride up tomorrow to Western Mass. And the ride will begin and I will hopefully be able to make as much of 275 miles as this old rickety body can handle. Thank you, everyone who has supported the effort. It is it is really um, a great it's a great thing for me to see, you know, five dollar, ten dollar donations from people like you. But from this community, I, I, it really is gratifying. How long should we keep it up, Mark? Just like through the weekend and that's it? How about that? All right. Thanks so much, everybody. You guys are the best. And we are so grateful for you. And I am so grateful for you. So check it out. All of our stuff's on the Jill on Money website. Uh, I'll stop talking about the ride now officially um, in a few days. And then I can just 100% concentrate on the book because that's the next fun area. And our fabulous ideas for where we're taking the Jill on Money community in 2023. Thank you all so much for everything that you do for us. We are so grateful. I really do appreciate it. Put your hands metaphorically on someone's back. Wish me luck. I really do need it. <laughs> Grit Growth Grace, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.